You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. to the Hoist the Colors podcast, and unfortunately, we are not previewing East Carolina's trip to the College World Series. We are doing a season wrap-up podcast. I am Stephen Igo, as always, with the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am joined by what's become our baseball panel, Jonathan Wagner from On3 Sports, former Hoist the Colors intern, Butner Pirate on Hoist the Colors, also known as Scott Lorbatcher. He is back. He is our uh, analytics uh, tournament field guru. Uh, fellas, what a weekend inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. Um, I- I'm saddened that we're that we're not previewing a College World Series trip for East Carolina, but I, you know we'll get more into the weekend that was. But uh, have you guys recovered yet, Jonathan? You are you are you still in the mend? Yeah, I'm definitely still on the mend. I was there just all weekend in general was very long. Just being in the sun, I got sunburnt the first day of regionals last weekend and I never really recovered. And obviously on Sunday I was I was there and I didn't I stayed probably 30 minutes after the game. Probably got back to my apartment about 2:30 in the morning, in bed by 3, woke up at 7 to get ready for work the next morning. So, I'm still recovering from that one, but it was fun. Obviously, it didn't go our way, but I'm definitely still on the mend for sure. So, Scott, I saw you and I talked to you in Airborne Pirates uh, just below the the big staircase. I also saw Jonathan talk to him at some point. Like I was telling him, it all runs together. Like I can't remember if I talked to Jonathan first or you first, but I know that you were at that time looking at probably heading home because of the lengthy delay, uh, and you were with your brother. Did you end up having to head back, and, and did you end up staying up for the game at least to watch it? Yeah, we uh, – so after I talked to you, I ran into Aaron Fid, and then I talked to him for like 20 minutes. Super nice guy, by the way. And then um, my brother called me while I was talking to him, and I just ignored his call. Um, and then uh, by the time I got back out to our seats, I uh, talked to my brother and his friend. My brother had a 7.30 meeting in Raleigh that he had to, like, go to in person. And he's, he still lives in Butner, so it's like a 30-minute drive. So, yeah, we just headed back shortly after that. We got home about, I don't know, like – maybe 20 minutes before the game started and I stayed up for as much of it as my body would let me. Um, but I think I fell asleep in the seventh inning. Um, so then I watched the rest of it the next morning, but, um, yeah, so I watched as much as I could. My wife couldn't get our daughter to sleep. So she slept in our bed. Um, my daughter did. And so I slept on the couch. So I'm still recovering from that too. So, yeah, I mean, you didn't miss much after the seventh inning. Unfortunately, there was no uh, miraculous comeback. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of – I, I, t- I was telling you guys before, we, d- we don't really have a script for this, so we're just kind of rambling. But, uh, man, so I left the stadium at 3 a.m. And I, I put the picture on Twitter. Uh, this was the final um, – it's been real, by the way. I did not expect to come back and do a second one. But 
like it was 3 a.m. Like the true definition of, uh, I guess, dusk. Like you could almost see the sun starting to rise. Like I was like, what the hell? Like I'm in the twilight zone right now. Uh, so that was that was an experience that I've never had covering any sporting event to where I was going home as the sun, I felt like, was almost starting to rise. But either way, uh, man, what a what a long day. What a long weekend. Um, let's talk about just the, the overall fan experience first. We'll get into the games, guys, but... Like I gotta give so much credit to Pirate Nation. Uh, I mean, I know you guys were there as fans, but like in the press box, talking with the Texas media and talking with Aaron Fit, like they were just you know they had high expectations coming in, but they were just blown away by everything that Pirate Nation offered. Like the Texas guys were like, "Man, this place is incredible." Um, they said the only place they could really compare it to is Texas A and M in terms of the passion of the fan base, the way they're in the game. Uh, and, and I was talking to them during the rain delay. I was like, there's no way there's going to be that many people here after the rain delay. Sure enough, it, it just filled right back up. It was loud. Um, but then, you know, even Friday and Saturday when it was good weather, even though it was noon, the place was jam-packed. It was loud. It was it was probably outside of some football games versus like North Carolina and NC State, just the best overall environment of any sport I've experienced Uh Scott, just your thought on the the atmosphere. I don't know if you sat in the the stands of the jungle, but just your takeaway from the fan experience of it. Yeah, so I was actually in the stands on Friday. Uh, My father-in-law is an NC State grad, and he came with me, and he saw the line to get in the jungle, and he was like, just see if you can buy us tickets in the stands. (laughs) He's not about that. but So the the crowd in the stands on Friday was great, Uh, a lot of energy. It, It was really awesome. But then Saturday in the jungle, um, my wife and I sat in the jungle. Um, I know they announced 5,800. There was at least five to a thousand, 500 to a thousand more people there than they announced. I mean, they weren't really scanning tickets out there, and it was as crowded as I've ever seen it. And you know, I think back to you know some super or some regionals in the past against uh, South Carolina or NC State, and these crowds were were bigger and better than those. And that's saying a, a, a lot. And it really goes to show how much, you know, our community, our alums stand behind our sports programs, and especially this baseball team. Jonathan, you uh, you had to finagle your work schedule a bit all weekend, but you ended up, I think, seeing just about every inning, right? Yeah, I think I, I, I did see every inning, I think. Friday I was off, so I was able to see that entire game. Saturday, I ended up swapping shifts, so I didn't work until 4, and then I got covered until about 5, so I could be there until the end of the game. So I saw all that one. And Sunday, I I worked 8 to 4, and I ended up getting let go a little early so I could make it. Ended up being for nothing. Granted, I, I saw that, you know, half inning before things got canceled but or postponed. But, yeah, I was there. But it's I think that's – to me, it, it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime type of atmosphere. I mean, you, we've, we've talked about it. You mentioned, Stephen, that it was a football-type atmosphere. I mean, there was a constant just yelling before every pitch. It just You could constantly hear it. And I listened to, I listened to the Texas postgame. It broke me a little bit um, on Sunday afterwards. And I think, it was, I think it was Tristan Stevens, the Texas starting pitcher. And he talk, he, even he talked about it and just said that, I mean, it, it was amazing all weekend, and for a player to say that on Texas after beating us, I think says a lot. But that's something I think every every fan that was there, every fan that watched, because you, I'm sure you could tell on TV, 
it's going to be something you remember for a while. And I think that's kind of just par for the course with the way this year went. So it, it was a really cool atmosphere. But even when things got crazy with the rain delay and a big deficit early on, Pirate Nation didn't let up. And it, it's something I'm going to remember forever. It was really awesome. Yeah, the, the, the crowd pop after the Trey Savage strikeouts, mm-hmm. after the, the delay was amazing. Like I, I honestly felt like at that point, I'm like, EC is going to come back and win this game, and then Texas batted again, and then it was over. Uh, but, I mean, even, like, in the sixth inning, like, it was 10-1 to 1 or whatever, and, like, there was no – it felt like there was no hope, but then the crowd would just, like, start chanting or cheering every at-bat, and ECU, unfortunately, could just never get some real momentum. But uh, kudos to the fans, man. Even cheering for Jake Kuchmer, like, there were some loud ovations in the last inning when he got those strikeouts, and then obviously walking off the mound to a standing no. Like, I know that had to mean a lot to Cooch after what's been a tough – Tough year. Uh, so, yeah, fans were awesome. Uh, even though ECU lost, I thought one of the best uh, overall, like, showings on national TV the athletic program has had. I mean, it got a lot of national attention. Showed off really the passion of the fan base. So, I thought that was great. All right, let's talk about the games, guys. We'll start with Friday. Uh, definitely the highlight of the re- or the Super Regional for ECU. Um, another back-and-forth game. 13-7, ECU ends up winning really kind of pulled away with that five spot, I believe, in the bottom of the eighth. All these games kind of run together because they were kind of crazy. But uh, what do y'all remember, if anything, about Friday at this point? Uh, Scott, we'll start with you and just uh, being a part of that game. Yeah, I remember. So when Texas cut it to one, my my father-in-law was like, man, you know, ECU can hit with these guys, but I think maybe they just ran out of pitching. And then we came up again in the bottom of the eighth, and we got that, you know, that home run off a of glove. And then we just had great at-bats all weekend, like, and especially Friday, just really, really good at-bats. And then when we scored those five runs, especially the inning starting the way it is, it, it just felt like, you know, this was our turn. Like, it, it felt like it was – everything's just trending our way. And just, I, you know, I want to give a lot of credit to AMAC for how good his at-bats were all weekend. I mean – he. He had one where he had a 10-pitch at bat that resulted in, like, a pop-up behind second base. And, you know, that's not going to show up on anything. But it goes to show, like, our hitting philosophy and how well it works and how hard it is on other pitchers because these two starters for Texas were legit starters, and we, we proved we could hit them. It was just a matter of the ball didn't bounce our way the last seven outs of the second game. Jonathan, anything about that Friday game that really uh, stood out to you other than the the epic home run into the jungle off the glove? Yeah, I mean, Scott mentioned AMAC. I think I, – I believe Jacob Starling homered in that game as well. Yeah, yeah. He like made just, it 5-2, to two, yeah. That's right. And that homer – so I think something I talked about the last time the three of us got together is I'm interested to see how the bottom of the lineup does. You lengthen the bottom of the lineup – Amax Starling coming through. I thought both of them had good at bats that weekend. So I think that was an, it was encouraging to see, especially now you know looking into it next year. But so I think that's good. And I think CJ Mayhew too. I mean, you know he he got thrust into the rotation, and I think some people might look at it his great numbers and say, oh, it's against the American. You know, the American sucks. You know, he just went up against probably the best offense in the country and. I thought CJ Mayhew did a really good job. He pitched well, righty heavy line. Obviously, he's good against righties, even though he pitches from the left side. But 
I was really encouraged by CJ Mayhew. And again, just the atmosphere from start to finish, it, it felt like this was ECU's time and Friday it was, and it was really awesome. So it's just, it's just a shame that it didn't go all the way, but Friday, it was really, I was really encouraged by those things, Mayhew and the bottom of the lineup. I'll yeah. add one more thing yeah, for go, Friday. Go uh, that ball that Ivan Melendez hit is probably <laughs> the hardest hit ball I've ever seen hit in my life. Um, holy cow. It, it, you know, sometimes you do have to sit back and appreciate seeing guys that are going to be major leaguers when they're 19, 20 years old. Uh, him and uh, the guy who hit behind him, Staley, like those those guys are very good baseball players. And they're like – you know, maybe they're not going to get the publicity that uh, Lighter and Rocker had last year, but offensively, they're every bit as a an impact on the game as Lighter and Rocker were. Because you, when we were looking at how the game was going to play out, it was like, you know, if we only give up one more hit the rest of the game, they don't get up again. That was a, a real factor for me watching the game and, and like, Seeing him hit that ball, it, it really gave credence to exactly how strong and good of a hitter he really is. The the most amazing thing about that home run is it like he barely swung, like he was just like, uh, and then it was just I mean <laughs> that thing was just absolutely uh, crushed. And then the funniest thing was not to jump too far to Sunday, but we were talking in post game. And he was like, yeah, I got jammed, but, you know, a little jam shot hit it out. You talking about his three-run homer? I'm like, yeah, okay, man. Like, you hit a jam shot 370 feet. Must be nice. Uh, but, yeah, man, that that whole game and the way ECU pulled away and the momentum of that thing, man, it just felt like, all right, this is ECU's time. Going into Saturday, I feel like everybody we talked with, you know, I think we even talked about in our group chat. It was like, all right, today's the day. Like, it's going to happen. Walk around the ballpark. Everybody's like, today's the day. It's going to happen. And then the game starts. Of course, Texas does what they do. They jump on top, uh, whatever the score was, 2-3, I don't know. Uh, but then the Pirates come roaring back. And, man, it just felt like the world double was such a huge moment. And then Jenkins Cowart with the three-run bomb to make it 6-2. to two. And we'll stop there for a moment because I don't want to talk about the rest of the game <laughs> just yet. Uh, at that time, guys, I mean, that was uh, that was probably the, like, the high of the weekend, you know, you're in the middle innings of game two, honing in on Omaha, and that made it 6-2, to two, that three-run bomb. I mean, the place was going bonkers. Um, Jonathan, what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I th- I look even to the first inning. I think, like you said, Texas got out to a 2 nothing lead, and then ECU came back up, I think, in the top of the second. They immediately made it 3-2. They answered. That's when I was kind of like, all right, this – this might happen today. I said it before. I think I said in a group chat, like, ECU is going to Omaha today. I called my shot. But that's when I really started to believe that ECU was going to Omaha today. And, you know, it, it was it was electric. That Those homers, ECU always just seemed to have an answer on Friday and Saturday. And I think ECU showed that it doesn't matter what team you're going up against. This offense and the players, even though on paper it might not look like the team is as good, whether you're comparing it to past ECU teams or you're comparing it to, say, the teams that are in the College World Series, a lot of people say ECU might not stack up. They do, and then some. Bryson Warwell is on a run. Jacob Jenkins Coward is great. He's a true freshman. And I just – I think, to me, that 
Saturday, just the ability to bounce back and then the momentum and going on those runs, it showed that ECU can hang with anybody, even though it didn't go our way. I think that's something that it's, it gives me a lot of confidence moving forward for this team. And, but man, that, well, we'll talk, I'll save my comments for later in this game. Cause I know where we're going, but man, that, that was a, that was a great time. Great thing to be a part of. So Scott, the three run bomb happens and then ECU even gets an insurance run on the Jenkins Cowart replay. Nice slide at home plate, seven to two. Like at that point, we know Texas is good, but we got to be feeling pretty good, right? Oh yeah, you know we had we had chased their starter, I believe, at that point. That Jenkins Coward home run, I was like fifteen feet from where it bounced off the scoreboard and landed. I think a guy like three people down from me ran over there and got it, and like it just felt like everything was on our side. Um, you know, and then and then we get the replay, right? And it's just like you know, how many times have we seen those go against us just because all oh, the camera was dirty or something? Um, but yeah, it just felt like we, we had gotten exactly what we needed. You know, we chased their starter. All we had heard about was how, you know, their bullpen's not great. They're all right-handed, et cetera, et cetera. But it felt like, you know, that seven to two lead, just like we had in the first game, you know, it was like, got to keep your foot on the gas, you know? And yeah, at that point, I was just like, just trying to soak every bit of that environment in, just looking around the jungle, because I was in the jungle that day, just trying to breathe it all in, because it really felt like we had finally, you know, crushed the glass ceiling, so to to speak. Until the Pirates did not. (laughs) Uh, All right, so going into the seventh inning, Sailor is, uh, Sailor's rolling on the mound. And I heard some people say that, um, that they should have should have taken Sailor out, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. At that time, he was he was rolling; they were struggling versus him. They get a two out double, which has been much discussed about Jenkins Cowart. You know, maybe could have made the play, not an easy play by any stretch of the imagination. Um, still seven to two, two outs, but that was their nine hole hitter who had been struggling all weekend. A leadoff guy comes up somehow, just like barely swings and hits a no doubter oppo bomb. Uh, because that's, I guess that's Texas, because uh, we're that good. That made it seven to four, and you know, we might as well just go ahead and get into this discussion. So I was talking to the Texas writer on Sunday, and like he knew he knows something about the backstory, Leclaire, Omaha, all that stuff. But even he made the comment like, "Man, you could feel the place just tighten up immediately after that home run." Like the fans you know, the team, the pitchers, like it just seemed like everybody went from like having a party to on edge and it was still a seven to four game. ECU was still seven outs away, but I think psychologically almost as much as anything that played a role in, you know, really the fans, it kind of took the fans out of the game, the two run Homer, and it just kind of snowballed from there um, and quickly got away uh, in, in the latter inning, Scott. Yeah. Um, you know, the wind was blowing right at my face in uh, right field. And it just felt like we started getting a little more conservative with our pitching, trying to maybe get them to roll over, whatever it might be. We started pitching them away to their big right-handers. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is. They started hitting tanks to right field. And Texas has such a good approach hitting. You know, I've saw people say, we choked this and this and this. We didn't. They, they beat us. We didn't make – dumb plays the the play with JJC yeah maybe he runs through the wall and makes that catch or maybe he runs through the wall and doesn't catch the ball 
and then it just sits there and they now they have a guy on third or you know maybe scores because our right fielders laid up against the fence you know uh, we got we got a little conservative pitching wise trying to stay away and then they just took advantage of that i mean it definitely felt like maybe the crowd kind of felt the pressure but yeah i don't i mean i, I think that that's just baseball sometimes you know sometimes that's just what what happens and yeah i mean it when they uh they took the lead i do remember just like that super sinking feeling in my stomach but then when star hit the home run to tie it back up i mean it, we jumped right back into it felt like okay not this time and then it just wasn't meant to be jonathan and the toughest thing about it if you're ecu is you, you throw sailor you throw to williger who's been lights out they just hit him. I mean, you know, I think the first pitch of that inning, the guy, like, hit a little, you know, soft single in the center. Next batter could have been – you know, it was hit hard. but could have been a double play ball. Goes off Terwilliger's calf or whatever into right field. And as soon as that ball ricocheted, I'm like, oh, God. Something about mounds and super regionals just is not on ECU's side. Next batter, three-run bomb. And then you bring in Spivey. They hit the go-ahead bomb off him. So it's not like ECU was trying to – not win the game. Texas, like Scott said, just beat beat ECU's best, which is part of what makes it, I don't know, frustrating because it's not like ECU was out there giving the game away. Um, Texas was just better at the end of the day, unfortunately. Yeah, like I said earlier, Texas is probably the best offense in the country. And again, listening to Texas post game throughout the weekend, they they were expecting the pitch away from ECU's pitchers, and when you're that good on offense and you have guys like Melendez, Staley, whoever, and that literally one through nine, that lineup, all of them were capable of probably double digit homers, which is crazy to think about. So they knew that the pitch was coming away and they knew the wind was blowing out the right field on Saturday and they took advantage. And, you know, I don't remember if I said it to you guys, but I said it to just about everyone I talked to in person on Sunday. If that ball does not go off of Ben Terwilliger's leg on Saturday, ECU isn't home off. I said I said that because I think that was a tailor-made double play. It was hard hit. It was right to where Jacob Starling was sitting, at least from my angle, at second base. Tailor-made double play. You're looking at, you know, two outs and nobody on instead of swing right there. It was just really detrimental. But, but that's baseball, I guess. And it's not Ben Terwilliger's fault. That ball went off his leg and he, that play wasn't made. It's just bad luck. That's how baseball goes sometimes. It sucks. But – yeah, that, that Saturday game. But then, Scott, you mentioned the Starling Homer. I, I think that Starling Homer is probably my favorite ex- sporting experience I've had in pertness, witness in person ever. Just the excitement of that happening, I, the immediate jumping around. The, it went crazy in the stands. I couldn't believe it. I went crazy enough. I, my, I started to think I was going to go down. So I was so, so pumped up. And every it just felt like the world was crashing down, and it was in a good way. And that was amazing. And obviously it didn't work out. And that's baseball. But I still think if, if that ball doesn't go off to Williger's like ECU is in Omaha. And that's, it's crazy to think about just one play like that, but that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and I feel like if ECU could have found a way to get out of the bottom of the ninth, I feel like the momentum would have carried into extra innings and ECU would have found a way to win the game. 
you know, ECU goes to Shinkman there. He's been throwing the ball well recently, but that's clearly the biggest spot of his career, tough spot. I, I don't want to say I would have rather seen Ryder Giles, but I did think it was interesting that they did go to Shinkman there. Um, you know, decide, I guess they could have left Agnos in maybe, but, you know, he he was close to getting out of it. Um, the guy just, you know, hit a pitch away, which I, I don't know. We talked about it. I don't even know if that was the pitch I was supposed to be throwing based on how Ben Newton was sliding low and away. Looked like he was trying to catch a slider, but either way, what what Stone has done, ECU lost the game. Um, series tied one to one. You know, I really felt going into Sunday, and maybe I'm an idiot, but I felt like that just because the way the season had gone, they were going to find a way to bounce back and win the game. Uh, I felt that way until uh, Ivan Melendez hit a three run jack in the top of the first, and I was like, all right. We might we, we we might have seen the end of ECU baseball in 2022, then the rain delay, and we talked about it, the five-run second inning, and I think that just took a lot of wind out of the sails. So uh, I don't even know if we need to recap Sunday's game, but I guess first off, Jonathan, we'll, we'll start with you. Just It was over pretty quickly, unfortunately. And again, some tough luck. Danny Bill executes to the first batter. Should have been an out, soft single close walk with some borderline pitches and then Melendez hits a jack and then you're behind the eight ball again. Yeah. I mean, I keep pointing to just how good Texas offense is, but you know, and I don't, I don't want to be this guy, but I mean, this guy, but I, I don't remember who, but someone on the horse of color board posted this and it was a visual representation of the first two pitches of that Melendez at bat to clear strikes that were called balls and you go from 0-2 what it should be 0-2 to a 2-0 count against the best hitter in the country and he made you pay for it but look whether whether or not those calls ended up making a difference who knows i it ecu's all it just with everything that went on that day it probably didn't make a difference but you know when you get down for nothing early and then you get a rain delay i kept t- i kept telling everybody Maybe that's maybe this is the best thing that could happen to ECU. You know, you kill Texas momentum. I think David Pierce, Texas head coach, was kind of like mad that the delay was happening. Why did we start this game to begin with? Because he probably knew his momentum could be shot, but it wasn't. But I, I kept saying ECU's offense is good enough to come back. We've seen it all weekend, but they needed to do it quick and they didn't do it quick. But Sunday it was just kind of just kind of deflating, I guess. The crowd day was still awesome. Just everyone coming back, how packed that place was during the rain delay too. Nobody left. Some people left. A lot of people were packed under the concourse as long as possible. I get there. I got there when it got heavy. I walked around a little bit and it was, I couldn't move down there. So it was, it was tough the way it went, but in the end, you know, we got to see the boys off and it was a good run, but Sunday, it just wasn't your day. And Again, at this point in the year, you're going to have those days sometimes, and it, it just sucks, but that, that is what it is. Scott, I want to get your take on something, Jonathan, you can weigh in too. Uh, so, 4 nothing, bottom of the first, after the big uh, big delay, you savage punches out, crowd's going nuts, first and third, nobody out. Bryson World, he's got a 3-0 count. He's the hottest hitter in America, but you're down four. And all of a sudden – you go from 3-0 uh, to fly out to left, and then the next two guys swing at the first pitch. I thought, you know, I get what EC was trying to do, but I thought that was a major bailout for Texas and really uh, really allowed their, their starter to settle in. Uh, just your thoughts on that that sequence there. 
Yeah. Uh, I talked to this, I talked about this with uh, my best friend earlier today, actually. And, you know, what we came up with was, you know, swing on three of late. You don't do it early. You know, the guy's struggling. It's the first inning. You want to work the count early, you know, late. Maybe you need to get a speed coming up next. And, you know, the worst case scenario, I guess, in that count is you swing and you ground a double play. The best case scenario, you home run. But the worst case scenario is a lot worse than, I guess, the best case scenario with, with us already being down by four. So I didn't really love the, the swing away call, but we've done it all year. So you can't you can't go against that either. Um, but, yeah, I, I think in that situation, me, even if I get the swing away sign, I would still take. But – Bryson just missed the pitch. So, I mean, he hits a home run there, and everybody's like, oh, that was genius, <laughs> you know? But right. looking back on it, yeah. I think we, we flipped our philosophy from the first two and a half batters of the of the bottom half of the first to from patient work the count to overly aggressive. And I, and I didn't really think that was the way that we needed to go. Yeah, for me, um, one of my friends asked me at the time, you know, when the count got to 3-0, he's like, do you green light him? And I said yes, just because I said, if, if there's one person you're going to give the green light to in this situation, he's at the plate. So that's why I was like, yeah, you know, if you have an opportunity to get the best pitch you're going to see, I think you go for it. He missed it. It didn't work out. But I think, but yeah, looking back, I'm like, you know, maybe you take a pitch or two, see if you can get on base and you still have JJC on deck. And he's just as capable of coming through with a big hit. But I was okay with it at the time. But Obviously, in hindsight, you know, we can all we can all say we can all, you know, disagree with it in hindsight. But but yeah, well, it just didn't work out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So this is uh, another conversation I've had with some people. Um, You know, the ECU to Omaha thing, like, Obviously, it's it's the elephant in the room. Uh, I mean, we talk about it. We're you know the media, the team knows about it, the fan base knows about it. Keith Leclerc's pictures all over the stadium when you walk in. It's on the pregame video. Um, like I feel like I don't know. Like I think it is at some point a psychological thing. Even though I, I you know at the end of the day it's baseball. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but. I just feel like there's so much pressure on ECU to get to Omaha, and so like that's what the fan base always talks about. And, and maybe instead of just enjoying the ride that it is, um, you know, enjoying the baseball as it is, like ECU's been one of the top 16 teams the past three years. They just haven't made it to the final eight. So 
do we put too much emphasis on Omaha due to the LeClaire thing? And obviously it's an awesome story. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, but just want to get you guys take. Uh, Scott, we'll start, we'll start with you. Just the LeClaire legacy, Cliff Goblin played for him, so it's it's clearly going to stay. But, you know, is there anything that can be done to take the pressure off the players and maybe just ECU needing to get to Omaha? I think that's part of what the crowd provides. Um, you know, when we get to host a Super Regional and we have a sellout crowd and they know everybody's behind them, I think that does kind of negate the 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 pressure of we've never been. You know, we have that tag of, you know, the Mark Martin of college baseball, the best that's never been to the, the championship or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, you think it was bad this year with the whole 23 streak. Wait till next year when the whole year is 23. Uh, it'll start at the beginning. So, um, no, I mean – we set lofty expectations because we're a top 10, 15 program now. I mean, we've we've been to four out of six of the last Super Regional rounds. We've hosted, you know, four times in a row. We've been to Super Regionals three times in a row. We expect to get through at some point. I mean, statistically, you can't lose every single time, I don't think. But, you know, I, if you don't have those expectations, then then what are we doing this for? So I think that the expectations of Omaha are good and that the crowd being so behind during the games, you know, evens out the, the pressure of we've never been. Jonathan, any, any thoughts there? I, I do think it's interesting that when Cliff Gowan first came in, um, they used to break down the huddle with Omaha and now they've kind of gone away from that word. Like, and I think maybe he's done that to take the pressure off the kids, but any thoughts there to follow Scott and, just everything on that subject. Yeah, I think like Scott said, you know, obviously the the story with the player is great and you want to break through to Omaha, but I think now the expectation to get there is because the program is good enough to get there. Every year they're right there. So I think it's I think it's less about doing it for that and more about doing it just because you know you're good enough to do it and you know you're just one step away from doing it so to me that's that's really all it is I think I don't think there's much pressure anymore I just think that you know the team knows that they're good enough to be there and they know that they're right there so I to me that at least that's just how I see it I just think you know quality programs want to get to Omaha if you don't if you don't have that goal you know what are you doing so I think every team in the country has that goal so I don't think just because ECU has it added added story with it makes it more pressured for them, but maybe it is. Uh, we're, we're not inside. I don't know, but I just think they're good enough to be there. So to me, that's all I see. So ECU now been to the postseason 32 times, still waiting that first Omaha appearance. But as I wrote um, in my thank you column to the team, like this is the most fun I've ever had covering, I think, an ECU sports team since I started working the beat. Like, the 2016 is up there, or 2016 team is up there, but this team was uh, was awesome, was full of personality, made the game fun, put together a streak like we may never see again. Um, I'll ask you guys, any, whether it be a player, a moment, um, it could be Super Regional Weekend, could be anything just throughout the season that really stands out um, – from your from from watching this team this season, Jonathan, we'll start with you as we uh, wrap this episode up. But anything that really stands out to you about this 2022 team? Yeah, I mean, I've said it a thousand times, but this is going to be a team I remember forever. Um, 
just it's not even about how they started to where they finished. I think it's just the way they did that what they did. They battled back all season and the way they did it was unconventional. I look at someone and obviously I, I grew up playing with Ryder Giles, so I'm gonna try to talk talk about it when I can. But what he did going from starting shortstop to Friday night starter on their inner rotation to you know, obviously coming later but in the back with defensive replacement shortstop, you know, pinch a bunt down type of guy. I think just looking at his story this season, it epitomizes what this entire team went through. Just finding a way, everyone just kind of stepped into their role, did what they had to do. And to me, that the fact that they got to where they are just doing that makes it that much more special. And I think just looking at riders, that that's exactly what happened. So I think that's pretty amazing to look at. Yeah, I agree. Scott, uh, anything stand out on your side? I guess we got one minute, 45 seconds remaining on my Zoom, uh, <laughs> which we can restart. It's all quick. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if you can get it in at one minute, 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, just getting to see Bryson Worrell one last time, I think was was really awesome. That uh, walk-off he had against Houston on the, the last day of the year in a game that, you know, statistically doesn't matter, but mattered to, to a lot of us to keep the win streak going and, running out to 20 and just Zach Agnos all year, you know, just the, the emotions that I'm sure he had to deal with and, and how great he was. And then just having a team of just guys, just guys that wanted to go out there and play for each other, you know, Ryder Giles selfless, uh, selflessness can't be talked about enough. You know, you look at the home run celebrations, the first person off the bench is Cooch and he's been hurt all year. He couldn't contribute on the field, but he did it in the dugout. And I think having guys that want to contribute in the dugout, more than anything else, typically leads to a successful team. And this team got as close as anybody, and it, it was really cool to see. Um, and then getting to talk to you guys about baseball this year has been a ton of fun as well. So, yeah, it's all in all, it's probably my favorite college baseball season I've ever had. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. This was a uh, a team to remember whether they made it to Omaha or not, the 2022 ECU Baseball Pirates may go down as the best ECU baseball team ever, at least to this point. I know there's been more talented teams, but there's only been two ECU teams that have won a super regional game all time. Of course, the 2016 team being the other one. But uh, this group, man, with the win streak, the all-time longest win streak in school history, and just some of the things they accomplished, both winning a regular season and postseason American Athletic Conference tournament title, for the first time in program history, hosting a regional, hosting the first ever super regional on campus. Uh, Texas, you know, they are one of the, the favorites to win the College World Series, so maybe they go on to win it and they, or even get to the finals. You could say you lost to one of the best teams in America in your own super regional, so we'll see how that plays out. But, um, man, so many great memories, win or lose, uh, in this, this past weekend. I, I think it it's something I always remember as a, as a sports writer. Um being able to talk to these guys, the coaches, the players, support staff, everybody on this team is a class act. So I uh, really appreciate them for everything throughout the uh, course of the year. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. Uh, our Zoom with Jonathan and Scott has ended, so just want to give a shout-out to those guys for providing their insight all season long. Uh, especially the second half of the year, and maybe we'll continue to get them on in seasons to come. We probably won't be talking too much baseball for a while. 
Um, unless something crazy happens, we'll start to turn our attention to football on the Hoist of Colors podcast. But either way, it's been an awesome ride. And, you know, we might have Coach Cliff Goblin on sometime later this summer to recap the season and look ahead as well. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, it's been fun to talk baseball with you guys all season. Soon enough, we'll be talking football, position previews, position discussion, schedule analysis. It'll be here before you know it. 80 days starting on Wednesday from September 3rd kickoff against NC State. So it'll be here very soon. All right, we will talk to you guys next time on the Voice of Colors podcast. For Jonathan Wagner and Scott Lorbacher, I am.